Hi, and welcome to That Fangirl Life, the platform that champions female fans. This week, to start season three, I'm joined by Sarah Fagan and Jenna Million from the music commentary podcast Name Three Songs. Listen as we discuss how the idea of Name Three Songs came about, which artist has the best fandom, as well as how the word fangirl has changed, particularly over the last few years on social media. So sit back, grab yourself a drink. It's a long one to get season three off to a start. Hello, everybody. We are back. Season three, episode one. And I am joined by Sarah and Jenna from Name Three Songs. Um, if you've listened to their podcast, um, it is a great podcast about misogyny within fangirl and music. And if you like this podcast, you will definitely like their podcast. And it's a lot more professional, I would say, than this <laughs> podcast. Um, but yeah, do you guys want to introduce yourselves, first of all, if anybody that is listening doesn't know who you are? Yeah, thanks for having us on. I'm Jenna. Really excited to be chatting with you today. Hi, I'm Sarah, and I'm also very excited to be here to talk about some fangirl stuff. I am going to start how I start every episode with every guest that we have on and that is basically asking them what does the word fangirl kind of mean to you when you hear it what do you conjure up in your head (laughs) I I feel like there's two different ideas because it's like oh the the media bias which is like a bunch of just like preteens squealing and like passing out for no apparent reason and then there's like what we've come to realize which is just like any human who like cares at all about a band like a little bit more than just an average listener I feel like could happily refer to themselves as a fangirl and not feel any shame about it and at least that's what we've learned from like our listeners of our podcast and we're trying to like do and help do is to sort of take away that nonsense idea that the like the man has come up with (laughs) like no guys being a fangirl is actually cool and awesome and without us no music would ever survive being a fangirl at its core is just like celebrating life and enjoying music and not caring what other people think I think that's the most important part love what you love and don't care what others think yeah and it's interesting now to see as well how younger fangirls from regards to how they want to utilize their other skills because of it which I think is amazing to see and how they want to branch out more into different things like with all the Etsy shops that started up during like last year with people drawing and all stuff like that it's more than just what I think people see when you get a photo of like from the Beatles kind of age and time frame and stuff yeah I think it's definitely evolved a lot especially over the last like 10 years I mean really since the internet but even just the conversation within the last handful of years has really like grown a lot and I think I don't know if it was necessarily like COVID and everyone being at home or if people were already kind of coming to this consensus but that's when like Sarah and I really started to notice it Mm -hmm. as like like fangirls themselves like realizing the power they have and like that's the most important part what we need to kind of start with is your kind of musical heritage as such who did you listen to growing up um what made you realize or who made you realize hold on a second I might be a fangirl because I want to find out more about this person than just sticking on their cds in my bedroom I feel like this is like a funny like thing for both me and Jenna because we both are really into pop punk music which we've talked a lot about on our podcast um 
just like in passing more so than like focusing specifically on it in any specific episode um because it's really not the best place for girls <laughs> but girls seem to gravitate towards it throughout a uh, space and time um which i just think is really funny but i mean i don't know i mean like throughout my life like any photo of me between the ages of i think like six and like 10 I'm either trying to look like Britney Spears or wearing a Spice Girls t-shirt and then that moves into like discovering pop punk music and being obsessed with Avril Lavigne and then Pete Wentz from Fallout Boy and then I think McFly was like my really big turning point Oh, um, interesting! <laughs> because like I had been on the internet and been obsessed with Fallout Boy but I was so young and then when I found McFly, I was still really young, but their fan base like skewed younger. So rather than me talking to a bunch of people like adults on Live Journal, I was now talking to like a bunch of fellow teens on Live Journal. Um, and yeah, I mean, like that's when my fangirlness like went full, full throttle, full like <laughs> full steam ahead um, to the point where like I made friends on the Internet and we tried to like collect enough letters to prove to McFly that Americans cared about them, that they should come here. But McFly are too famous in England to ever care about America because they're well, like, we tried, they're like, we tried once and like, we weren't famous enough. So fuck that. We're the jungle kings and the kings of Strictly Come Dancing. We don't need you. Well, it was funny when, cause like Sarah, we've talked about like our history a lot. So I was like, which story is Sarah going to pick to tell today? <laughs> and as she was talking, I was like, you know what? I've never... I've never like fully uh, acknowledged that Jesse McCartney was my first fangirl moment. <laughs> I think I, I was too young to be like properly into fandom at that point, but that was like the first time where I was like, oh my gosh, this singer, this boy's so cute. And then um, also gotta give credit to Hilary Duff and Lizzie McGuire <laughs> was a huge fan of that had like posters of Hilary Duff on my wall as a kid but I really got into it um as Sarah mentioned the pop punk scene with all time low that was quite the turning point for me which is <laughs> funny because I joined the scene later than Sarah did so I I did a lot of like retroactive like discovering their music and like, getting into it and like being part of their fan club like being on the message boards like they weren't my all time low wasn't my first concert but it was one of the one of my first ones so it was like a really big deal for me i was probably like 15 at the time um so really got into it with them and then as i got a little bit older as a teenager that evolved into both one direction and the 1975 and <laughs> the rest is history did you find like growing up that you were often judged for like how much you like loved music and was like a fangirl like from your peers and stuff in school, like I was definitely like the one in my friend group who was like, oh, I was like the music kid um, within my like peer group in high school and stuff. But because I like skewed more like pop punk at that time and then it turned into like the indie alternative to me, it was always like, I like music, but it was a cool thing. It wasn't like an embarrassing like fangirl thing. Like I never had shame about it because I was just like, I like cool bands. Very like pick me girl, right? Like I'm a cool girl. Um, and so then when like I was a One Direction fan, like I have never, I don't think I've ever like been super like forward, like out facing fangirl, like only like my closest friends would know or like my online friends or like obviously if I went to a show, but like I wasn't like, I would wear One Direction t-shirts like ironically, like with a denim jacket with like with the leather jacket and like my Doc Martens be like, 
yeah, I'm wearing a One Direction t-shirt, so what, you know? And so I never like personally felt like attacked, like I had any like stigma attached to me. And I feel like that's how I operate still. So I don't know, maybe the, maybe there's some personal stigma to unpack there. I feel like for me, it was, I got really lucky in that I lived so close to New York City that when I didn't really have things in common with the people in my town, I just made most of my friends like online for concerts like literally like in real life but just like was standing online waiting for a show and some like obviously also like I've been making friends on the internet since before I should have been making friends on the internet um <laughs> just based off of, of how safe the internet was when I was like 12 and 13 you know um but I mean so most of my friends were also super into music and I think similar, similarly to Jenna, like I was very much in the like trenches of the MySpace era of like pop punk music when it was slowly starting to become mainstream because when I was in like the end of middle school, starting of high school, so like 15, like 14, 15 years old um, is when like Fall Out Boy and My Chem and all that stuff sort of be- went to the mainstream so nobody ever really made fun of me. I looking back, it probably was weird that I wore a fallout boy shirt like every day of the week to school. Um, <laughs> but like it was never something I was really that judged for. I think it was just more so like your mom lets you leave school early to go line up for a concert. And I'd be like, yes, Why <laughs> I'm, wouldn't she? I'm doing my homework. <laughs> Why does it matter? Um but I think I also went through that sort of phase where I started realizing kids that bullied me started liking my music where I kind of was like really much of like a gatekeeper of things where I was like, yeah. don't look at the posters in my locker. Like, do not talk to me. <laughs> you cannot know what this is. I think the only time I ever felt like somebody thought I was being insane was when I started liking One Direction. I was interning at Seventeen Magazine, which is like a really big teen magazine. And we were in like, like an intern like style cupboard like literally like a closet was where we worked and I was like going like balls to the wall one direction is the best thing that's ever happened everybody needs to catch up on this and I was telling everyone and all the like editors who were maybe five years older than me because they were just all like assistant level the people I worked with were like boy bands are never gonna make a comeback why are you so obsessed with this I'm like they are coming to New York in like three months from now and you guys need to schedule an interview with them or else you're never going to get one. And they all like thought I was crazy. And I was like, this is the best band in the whole world. And you guys are stupid. <laughs> and they wouldn't listen to me. And then Teen Vogue interviewed them first. And I was like, ha, we missed out. <laughs> what we do need to discuss that is how did you both meet? Because you both live in different parts of America. Yeah, we've never... We've never lived in the same place and we've met more times in England than we ever have in America. We've only met once in America. I was gonna say when um, I was listening to an episode earlier and I was like, oh, they both studied it in England. Like, did you find that the music scene differs here more than America? Like, which do you prefer, would you say? I, I think, I, I feel like we might've touched on this. I can't remember if it's on ours or on another one. Like, a, I think it was a 1975 pod. Yeah. We talked about this. Um, but like British people seem to love music more. <laughs> yeah. They love like, they love it differently. They love it love just it like so pure. Yeah. In like, America, it's like the competition. <laughs> yeah. It's like here everybody's trying to seem cooler or more in the know or whatever. And then like the amount of times I've been to gigs in London that 
people just like you don't see a phone because every single person yeah. is like no the more important thing is like holding my friend's hand with one hand and holding my pint with the other <laughs> <laughs> baby I'm awake <laughs> and it's just so funny like there is this one show that um I went to go see see girls in like 2018 like a couple months before I left after I finished grad school and I brought my friend who's also American and we went up on the balcony so I could go get photos it was that Scala I, I don't even think that they told people to put their phones away but I put my camera down and I was just like enjoying it because they're like my favorite band and my friend and I looked at each other and we realized that there was like not a phone in sight and then I got like my camera on obviously because I was like I need to take a picture of this because I'm never this is never gonna happen ever again but they were just all so into it and I was like this is so exciting and so fun and I mean so much good music is coming out of England right now like so much good stuff especially in like the alternative rock sort of realm and I think the one thing that shocked me though is like when I first moved over so that would be in 2012 um I went to go see All Time Low because there was this like I hadn't paid attention to All Time Low in like years and this boy I had a crush on <laughs> was like obsessed with them and he was like oh they're doing like an album release thing where they're playing in like every city in like 24 hours or like 48 hours or something to celebrate this album release and we we got tickets and we went and I was just shocked at how many dudes were there in groups of dudes because guys in America would never admit to liking All Time Low. Like if a guy is at an All Time Low show in America, especially back then, it would be either been like, oh, my girlfriend dragged me here. Or they would have been like, oh, I'm trying to be in a band. So, you know, this isn't this doesn't count. Or they were gay. And, like, and it was like those three demographics and any other guy there, they would have to come up with some sort of excuse why they were there. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with liking All Time Low. Like who dubbed them the boy band of pop punk music? Like who yeah. did that? But going back to your initial question, yeah. which was how we met. Um, <laughs> I think Sarah and I have both been very fascinated with like, well, at least for me, like British music. Um, and as Sarah mentioned a second ago, like, I think they've always kind of been ahead of the trends as far as like what's coming out of like the rock scene. And so I always really liked British bands more than like American, like alternative rock bands. Um, and so when I was in college, I really wanted to go study abroad in England. Um, and so when I went, it was during my senior year and I was in Bristol for a semester and Sarah was starting her grad school in London. Um, and we were both like female music photographers. We were part of this community called the Photo Ladies. And we had mutual friends who connected us online being like, oh, you guys are both going to be in England like at the same time. And so then we started chatting and then we went to stay with each other to visit each other's cities and the rest is history it was honestly so funny because my mom was like have you ever met her or spoken to her like or anything before and i'm like number one i think at the time i was like 25 or 20 yeah i was 25 and i was like i'm grown up <laughs> i can do what i want um but also i was like no we've like talked i think we hadn't even like talked that much before i came to bristol like we talked yeah, like, like a little bit the first time we met sarah like came to sleep in my flat like <laughs> yeah and then i went to visit sarah like oh i guess i stayed with you stayed with you once like when i went to see wolf alice at like ali pally um but i hung out with sarah several times like while i was there and then like twice after because i was just there for like three months so I went back to Texas and like graduated like university and then I went traveling. And so I saw Sarah like twice more in England when I was abroad. And then we've met once in New York. 
what then made you from all of this, everything going on, you two decide, let's work together and decide to start Name Three Songs. The way that Jenna and I are friends is just like, we we very much are like, this person's being an idiot on the internet. Hi, let's, let's talk about it sort of thing. Or like, oh, this, this thing's going crazy in music stuff. And I feel like out of all of my friends, like we have the most similar music taste and interest in what's going on in the world of music. And so last summer, this like idea came to me like in my dreams, basically. <laughs> Um, because I was like so bored because of lockdown and like I'd left New York and I wasn't around like anyone at all other than my parents. You were doing a Barbie doll photo shoot. Yeah, I was literally <laughs> just taking photos of Barbies to like try and have any creativity. And I was like, what am I, what the hell am I supposed to do? I miss music. I miss all of this stuff. And, um, I had had like a frustrating <laughs> conversation with a male friend. Um, yeah. <laughs> who was just like overthinking a lot of stuff about the music industry and is one of those people who is their mind's in the right place but like doesn't necessarily know how to get to the right answer to that thing so like the journey to the response of like oh I should be a feminist is very much like but men aren't that bad <laughs> it's like are they though <laughs> um and I, and it was just one of those conversations of like, oh, how am I, how am I going to help make things better when this is over? But his way of talking about it was like very infuriating to me. And Jenna had, has met this friend before. And so I like texted her whatever about it. And then like a couple of days later, I called her and I was like, I've come up with this idea to do a podcast. And I was like, I'm not a hundred percent sure what, like what the vision is on it, but I came up with a name <laughs> and I want to make fangirls know that what they like isn't stupid and I was like that's that's the premise and then we talked about it for like two hours and we sort of formed an idea but I feel like we didn't really land on what exactly we were doing until like three months into already making the podcast yeah <laughs> and that was very much it we were like let's just do this for fun because like we'll have fun doing it and see what happens like no no time commitment no like anything no like oh five months out we need to be doing this you know just like let's just have fun and then like we got like a really big response right away and we're like oh people actually like care about this thing that we care about like this is cool and so then it kind of just kept going and then we were able to kind of like clarify our vision more along the way how do you find juggling doing this alongside your other jobs it's so much <laughs> like people don't realize how much it is and like the thing with podcasting is like you have to do so much marketing because if you don't no one's gonna listen to it like people may happen to find it on their own but so much of it is like marketing and like social media stuff and so like i worked have been working in digital marketing so like it's right up my alley um but i had to like get caught up on like the journalism side of things and i feel like for sarah it was kind of like the reverse of like sarah was very much journalism minded and then like we had to figure out marketing stuff together um but yeah it's been it's been a lot to juggle and like i i was contracting so my schedule was really flexible but i'm just like about to start a full-time job now so we're like gonna see what's gonna happen <laughs> Um, I mean, like for me, it was also like that thing where at the time when we started, I knew that my full-time job was going to stop because of COVID. So I was like, oh, like in two months, my job is gone. Um, and I didn't know like what was going to happen. So we got pretty lucky on um, both senses where Jenna's job at the point was like 
really flexible with timing and my job was like literally non-existent um and then my job right now is like permalance where I work like four days a week sometimes five um and the hours are like very whatever so we've been we've both been able to just kind of be very like lenient with it and get things done whenever we can but I mean it's just crazy how much time when you want something to sound good like how much time things can take because like we we want it to sound as professional as possible so that people aren't going being like oh this sounds bad or like oh they're not trying hard enough or whatever so we're reading probably a lot more than we've ever thought that we were going to and also just like spending so much time intricately like editing things in order for us to just sound because that's the one thing when you do a commentary podcast is you aren't coming to it with like a script or all these things so your ideas are sort of free-flowing and every now and again you kind of uh misfire (laughs) (laughs) that's a good way to put it yeah crazy but it's so rewarding when you get the information back from people that are reading or listening oh yeah definitely no yeah same I mean I don't I could not do this by myself like I think Sarah and I have been able to keep it up because we keep each other going like we keep each other motivated and accountable it's like having that partner having that teammate and also like the feedback we get from listeners is like so incredible like when they send us long messages we're like they're thinking critically or like they realize something because of something we said like that's really amazing like to know that like for even for one person like it made an impact following on from talking about obviously trying to juggle everything what would you say has been the biggest learning curve so far I think just trying and and I feel like this was when we really hit our stride and figured out like what we were trying to do is that we had a listener message us and say that they had talked about us in a class at school and I can't remember like if it was high school or college or what it was but I was like maybe we need to start looking into like the psychology behind things more and like more concrete evidence behind what we're saying and so I think that that was like the big learning curve of it is like us realizing that these people are 100% taking what we're saying as fact when we did like for the first like five months of our podcast and every episode the top line of the description was like this is an opinion and (laughs) because we didn't want people to be like oh this is like 100% factual information because unless we were reading from an article we were just speaking from our own personal experience And it's just funny because like what makes it factual when it's written down in an article, you know, Um, unless it is like a journalistic research paper or what have you. Um, And yeah, so I think that that was like the learning curve. of. Yeah, I think that was a great one. I think it just like that also that realization helped us kind of like solidify like our path and like how we operate too. How easy do you find it um, to come up with episode topics? sometimes it's a huge challenge and sometimes they just fall in our laps but I will say a lot of it comes from um like with the amount of research we do other similar topics will pop up and we'll be like oh we saw we like we read something about this like maybe we should look into this more and so we'll come up that way or just like figures within history like we spend a lot of time talking about certain people and their careers and so like right now we're like oh we would love to learn more about like Janet Jackson and like we should spend time researching that so we kind of have an idea of like we haven't explored this yet like let's do that 
and other times <laughs> other times we're like do ideas exist <laughs> yeah, I, th I think we get stuck in quicksand sometimes because there'll be like really big topics that we want to cover and we want to figure out if there's a way to like niche it down more or if this is the right topic to talk about in a more broad sense and if we do talk about it in a broad sense like are we educated enough on it and I think that yeah. that's our other issue is that like we don't want to talk on something if we don't feel educated enough on it which is why it took us like a whole year to talk about k-pop and like half a year to talk about like the african-american women who literally shaped rock and roll music because we wanted to find the right book and like read the right stuff and have the right information to go into it where we're not like tokenizing somebody by bringing them on the podcast to talk specifically about something that might not be their area of interest but also where we're not being like, oh, yes, we are speaking for these people with limited knowledge. Instead, we want to come to it with like actual information and be like, yeah, see, like we put in as much work as we possibly can to try and give you guys some information that you've been asking us about or whatever the case may be. All of our episodes basically build on one another. So it's like we only just recently did an episode that was like, um, can women ever really own their sexuality or are they always going to be objectified? And that's something like a question we've been asking since the very beginning. But now that we've had a year's worth of like looking at how women are objectified and how women like own their sexuality, like finally now we're able to have a conversation like that. And it's a conversation that's going to continue. So just knowing that also like having a conversation once is never the end of the story. It's also, I know I get the fear of, cancel culture um, and yeah. we've touched on that on with a few articles on the website in regards to how quick it people are to not only cancel artists if they do something wrong which obviously if they have done something entirely wrong that's a thing that should happen and they should be called out on it but also within the fandoms unfortunately once it's out there on the internet it's there forever and ever which yeah I think like for us um we're lucky that like a lot of our I mean pretty much everyone who listens to us like knows like where we're coming from they know like this is a, a process this is a learning process this is an educational process and like something we say once like we can change our minds on later if we're presented with new information and so I think like a lot of our listeners are like really well aware of that but it is like people who come across I think it's more like people who come across you for the first time and they don't know your back history and they're like, well, why would you say this? Blah, 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 blah. But a lot of times we do have <laughs> facts to back things up. They just didn't like our opinion. So there's yeah. that too. Yeah. I think that that's the one thing is like, we are so lucky in our listenership that they are so aware that we are doing like a critical discussion based podcast where they know that we're coming into this looking at like kind of just flipping everything over as much as possible where we have no problem acknowledging that somebody we might not necessarily like personally it could be like really talented or good make good music or what have you but also be able to be like yeah they fucked up by like appropriating xyz culture or whatever they're doing that's problematic but we're also not really like being complete dicks like the only person we've ever been complete dicks about is Ashton Irwin and I will go to my grave defending that stance um <laughs> that he still doesn't 100% know how to talk about 
fangirls properly, but his fans will literally go to their grave being like, no, he knows everything. Blah, blah, blah. He's amazing. He's whatever. Like he definitely is growing. And I think that there is a lot of potential there, but he always gets to the right point by bumping into a bunch of wrong points on the way. (laughs) And that's what exhausts me. And so I'm just like, okay, yeah, I can't hold, I shouldn't hold something against him that he said when he was like 20 years old. But also like when you tour with One Direction, maybe be a little kinder about the way you talk about girls. A question that we got sent in, which kind of, we kind of already have touched it, but um, what would you say would be three tips for someone that's wanting to start a podcast? Don't be mean to Ashton Irwin. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, Ashton stands will come for you on the internet. Um, be realistic like a, a very realistic tip would be be realistic about how much time and energy you have because podcasting you have to be very consistent with it you have to release the same time every week you have to promote like you have to promote a lot um you have to be consistent with your quality and all of that takes a lot of time so if you're wanting to do something every week like think about like your schedule think about the time and energy you're going to have to set aside for that Yeah, because honestly, TikTok is your best friend in regards to social media platforms and what you're doing, because if you're talking about something, especially like pop culture related, like most people between the ages of like 14 to 35 are on that app. And that is going to be your core audience if you're around the same age as us talking about these things. And people are interested. That's the thing that I find really interesting is an app filled with one minute videos. People want long form content and people are asked for long form content. And a lot of TikTokers have gone on to make podcasts that are doing pretty well. And I mean, for us, almost everybody who is like a dedicated listener found us through TikTok. Um, And we try and do that as regularly as possible. But that also takes like a shit ton of time because to be successful on TikTok, you need to post like three times a day. Like, and if you take breaks, it's fine. But also if you take breaks when you're first trying to like start that momentum, people are going to be like, what the hell? So I mean, like we were on TikTok making three videos a day straight for like eight months. And then it just got to the point where we were like, we're going to burn out so fast if we keep this up. Um, But it's just important to know that it's there and to utilize it making a podcast isn't just getting in in front of your computer with a microphone going on zoom and recording something it's doing research it's reading it's promoting it's so much stuff to do outside of just like the recording of an episode we're gonna do a little game in the middle of this um there's no jazzy title which just literally called quick fire round as such (laughs) Um, I always say it's called quickfire round. However, it ends up not being a quickfire round because it ends up going off on a tangent on different things when people answer different things. I'm going to start with the first question, which I think is quite hard, but the best fandom that you've kind of come across. That's obviously BTS ARMY because they know <laughs> what they're doing. BTS <laughs> ARMY are so smart. <laughs> They're amazing. They're like the I love people. them. <laughs> like, and this is coming from somebody who has like no part in this whatsoever. Like, they are the smartest fan base ever. I don't necessarily know if they're that great at critical thinking, but they are so smart and like so well educated. 
And I think it's because their fandom like spans so many like age groups and genders and yeah. backgrounds and all this stuff. So these people come from so many different backgrounds of education and what they do for work and all that sort of stuff. And it's just really interesting because I feel like they do definitely get like mad over the tiniest inconsistencies if you like don't talk about them the way that they view themselves. But I also think that there is a good amount of them that's so willing to be like, oh, this wasn't right, but like this is why it wasn't right. And like explain it in like a very kind way most of the time. Whereas a lot of other fandoms, if you say something that they don't like, they're like, I will burn your house down. And it's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) Then on the flip side, the worst fandom. I have sauce. (laughs) Um, Probably the Barb's, but we don't really talk about Nicki Minaj. So we're we're okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, actually, I did get attacked by Believers and Swifties on Twitter. A few months back that was scary <laughs> i think any fandom is scary if you get on their bad side yeah and then these next two are kind of a little bit more music centric based but an album in your personal opinion that has no skips right now ever i mean the new halsey album is like pretty perfect like it's really good and definitely one that you need to listen to in order like seven yeah. times in a row to like find out what's going on like one of my go-to all-time favorites is definitely like wolf alice like my love is cool but lately i've literally just been listening to like bts and like tomorrow by together so i don't know <laughs> BT- bts have some freaking good albums if you've never if you've never listened and you want a surprise i don't know go listen to like love yourself tears and what i've been listening to lately what has been um when Izzy interviewed me for uh, one of the episodes in season one. She asked me what my favorite gig that I've ever been to is. <laughs> we were what? literally just talking about this. Um, <laughs> Wolf Alice at Ali Pally in 2017, sold out. Oh, beautiful, beautiful experience. So lucky to be there. Like this is such a hard question because literally Jenna was like, we were texting about this literally yesterday. And we were like, what are concerts? Like, when was that a thing? How did that ever I don't even remember any of them. I don't remember anything. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, Cartel did like a 10-year anniversary of Chroma album tour when I was in London. And I photographed it. And I didn't, I wasn't expecting it to like give me like a visceral reaction of feeling like I had stepped in a time machine. But that was the first and only time in my life that I've co-checked my camera to go in a pit alone to like enjoy a concert (laughs) so I feel like that's definitely like up there um what has been your favorite episode you've recorded we just recorded an episode about fan fiction which (laughs) I think is the most fun I have ever had on our podcast but I think other than that um the groupies episode we did was also really fun just in regards to like a really good guest and a really interesting conversation and I also think just doing the research for like um, our episode about the maligned women of the 2000s. So like the women who weren't allowed to really have pop careers, even though they probably should have been able to have pretty decent ones. I feel like that was really fun because I'm also just aggressively passionate about that. It's so hard. I feel like whatever like most recent one that we really had fun with is always like my favorite because the fan fiction one's really good. I really, really liked the K-pop episode we did because it was a lot of critical thinking, mostly about 
like capitalism and white supremacy um and not about k-pop but it, it that's just been my brain lately um but also one of our earlier episodes on lana del Rey was like a really fun one because we had we had guests for that for the the girls from sleepover cinema podcast and they were like both big lana fans and and i was kind of like rediscover remember remembering like me being a Lana fan for a while as a teenager and just like going through her very weird, very deep history. <laughs> that was a fun time. What's something you've learned from one of your guests that you've had on that you didn't know before? Um, that on country radio, only one in every three songs is allowed to be by a female artist. And that if the radio people don't like you, then you won't get played on the radio. Yeah, the country episode was really fascinating because there was a lot of stuff we didn't know. I, these are like two of my favorite questions to ask for people that have come on that do music commentary podcasts. But if money was no object in the whole world, what would you love to do to take the podcast to the next level? BBC One, BBC Radio <laughs> One talk show. <laughs> because why is why is BBC radio so highly regarded in England and all of the radio stations in America are garbage? I want to be a BBC one radio host. <laughs> I just want to be besties with Greg James. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like if we could make like a documentary of some sort, I feel like that is like my dream in life is to do something in order to be a kind of like head. Well, yeah, number one, to become a talking head. So, like, beyond, like, I love the 90s, but, like, I love the 2010s. I don't know. VH1, call me. Um, <laughs> but, like, if we could do some sort of documentary where we get to, like, follow an artist and, like, talk to, or, like, a couple artists that I think have primarily, like, fangirl audiences and sort of take away, like, push back the curtain on it and just, like, show these people being legitimately real humans... Mm-hmm. And I feel like that would change a lot in the game of fangirl dumb. Who would be your dream guest to have on podcast? Troy Sivan and Halsey. <laughs> Is there someone else I'm missing? I talk about Lily those two Tomlinson. a lot. <laughs> yeah. I feel I want it so badly for Louis or Liam to just spill their guts on our podcast. True. And I feel like Liam is completely plausible. To find out what it was like to have been in a boy band from somebody who was in a boy band, not even just like Louie or Liam. Like I've said before, like talking to somebody who was in a band like The Wanted would just be so interesting to find out like what that was like, especially to be like the other option. Like, I just feel like it would be so interesting. It's not a That Fangirl Life podcast episode if we don't ask who's your favorite member of One Direction. Harry. Louie. (laughs) Louie. easy i would die for that man <laughs> okay we're gonna kind of move on now to the like second half and then round things off we're gonna kind of talk about why fangirls are perceived the way that they are um what we think holds for fangirls in the future why do you from all your extensive research do you think fangirls get tainted with the reputation that we do misogyny it just always comes back to the same thing and like i feel like you know sarah and i and probably yourself as well like the people who have been having this conversation for a while are just like so aware of it that it's like why do we even have to like spell it out anymore because you forget that there are people who just like have so much internalized misogyny and don't think about these things that they're like 
like I don't I don't know it's just like not they're just not aware they're just still feeding into like these weird stereotypes and tropes that I'm like how have you not realized this by now <laughs> it's yeah. just like anytime girls feel empowered in any way there's going to be a man in power like in a place of power who's going to give them a name and call them insane and that's happened throughout history just in, it's infuriating and really upsetting in lots of ways because like just like girls like stuff but also it's like now that girls have or like women even have reclaimed the term fangirls and other people are also using the term as a positive thing I feel like they're really putting like the pedal down and trying even more so to be like oh it's always teen fangirls and it's like no that's not what this is I will say like because like said, I've been talking about and with BTS ARMY lately, like their main demographic isn't really even teenagers at this point because they've been around for so long that a lot of the people who found them as teenagers have already grown up. Um, but like, as, as Sarah said, like as wide and diverse as ARMY are, from the outside, there's this perception that they're all teen fangirls and that's not true at all. And they just get like, they just get dismissed as that and like not given a second chance to like show who they are. Just think even the term, like I just don't like the term either, like fangirls, because it does paint to be ju like juvenile. And yeah. like, especially for like me being in my thirties, I'm like, I'm not a girl, but also I do believe in like everything that fangirls stand for and do. Yeah. So I will own that term, but it's like, whoever came up with that term, like, no, like, why? Well, why? it's the same thing about how, like, incels on the internet made it so if you refer to a group of females as females, it feels like you're saying a dirty word more so than even saying, like, the C word feels like a dirty word in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I just... And it's so exhausting because when we'll talk about things, we want specifically to be like, yes, just, like, females in general... Like anybody who like feels that they are female is what we were talking about right now, but it feels wrong to say it. And I'm like, oh, this is so exhausting to do this. How do you see this being challenged really as such, especially like over the last few years? I feel like with everyone being locked indoors as such, it's become more prevalent that people are like challenging I feel like because I touched on this earlier of like it feels like the conversation within like the last two years has really changed a lot or we just started paying attention to it I don't know yeah. but I think part of it with like lockdown is people going back and like revisiting things that brought them comfort and I think that started a lot of like the One Direction podcasts and like even like one of one of our listeners and like one of my friends now who's like a very big like bts army like she was a huge one direction fan she went back to the thing that gave her comfort and then like her friends were like oh but like bts is like an active boy band now and she like discovered them and like you it's it's that comfort thing of like remembering the things that brought you joy when you were younger i feel like in the last year a lot of people have been doing that and i also think platforms like tiktok have been bringing like fangirls across the world together to realize like you're not alone in this feeling and you're not the only one going through this and you're not the only one still celebrating like your love for whatever it is um and so i think like that's 
a lot of the reason why the conversation feels like it's been a lot bigger now. And I think also it's like because of that, there's been a whole focus of people wanting to also pivot career wise into something that they'd be more passionate about. And I was saying this to Jenna a little while ago is that fangirl also seems to have turned into like a buzzword people are using to try and like get girls interested in like professions that they didn't know before or whatever. And I think that that was a lot of also the reason why we shifted our podcast was a lot of people were like, oh, the fangirl to music industry pipeline. And I'm like, this has always existed. This isn't new. This is kind of exciting because people are on the Internet and aware of it. But it's like this isn't a new trend, like the amount of women that I've met throughout my life doing music photography and journalism who got into PR or industry work because they were super into a band and realized like, oh, maybe I could work for them has been happening for decades like since forever and it happens in every work like every profession not just music it's like okay it's getting exhausted now <laughs> like this is always going to be here we're gonna be fine and so I think that that was also a bit of it of people being like oh I want to work for my favorite band now because that's a thing that I realized like- um how have you seen the way that um fangirls kind of like mobilize what they've learned being fangirls in other areas um society really over the last few years Uh, specifically with like bts army um as sarah mentioned earlier like there's so many people from so many different backgrounds that like army in particular because like i've never been super into like a lot of other fandoms so it's easiest for me to like speak on this and it's just most recent so i'm like i don't know if other fandoms do this also and i'm not aware but like bts army like does a lot of like film um like donating money for different causes um just like all the time like on their own and a lot of and like also a lot of them are like scholars or like researchers like there's a lot of like philanthropic and like community causes outside of just like bts's music that they do as a community that's been really amazing like i i saw a a south by southwest talk that the one of the ceo the global ceo of big hit entertainment formerly now it's hybe but was talking about how they like recognize the power of the community and the power of fandom and like when bts was created essentially they wanted it to be like a companion to fans like not as if like here's the idols for you to worship but like here's friends for you to go through life with and how do how do the how do the artists and the music serve you and serve what fans need and fans want and i honestly think that's why bts has been able to achieve the level of success that they have is because of how they approached it the mentality they approached this with um and i think it comes through in their music it comes through in the way they write their lyrics how they carry themselves and i think it comes through in the way that army treats each other and army interacts with the world as well i think also like because fangirldom felt so new with the beatles and those sort of artists even though it has been going on since the 18th century um i think that it probably like whatever other things they were doing outside of screaming and fainting was probably getting overshadowed in a lot of ways because I feel like there were so many movements happening at those points in time, especially in like the 60s and 70s, that I'm sure those women and girls were a part of that probably just gets forgotten because of the way that women and girls were viewed then. Um, so I feel like that would be just like an interesting thing to look into just in general, but definitely what Jenna has said is that a lot of these fandoms 
raise money for certain causes that they believe their artists are passionate about or just that they are passionate about. And we've also talked about this in our parasocial relationships episode where like because fans come from so many different backgrounds and stuff, a lot of people and you see this a lot with One Direction where it's like, oh, because of One Direction, I realize like I became more confident or like I realized who my true self is or whatever, whatever. And it's like it's not fucking because of One Direction. It's because you as yourself grew as a human because of the people you were interacting with on the Internet give yourself some goddamn credit. Like you are doing amazing things online by figuring out who you are and like expanding your knowledge. And like so many, there are so many people who would avoid certain fandoms because of like correlations with them and like the LGBTQ community and all different things like that, because like, Oh, my parents aren't okay with that. But there are so many people who have stopped themselves from being brainwashed, like against just like common acceptable things because they've broadened their horizons by taking part in fandom culture and meeting new people from different walks of life and it's like just give yourself some credit ladies how do you think artists should engage with their fans because like you said you've got bts who like really engage like they engage with their fans and their help like are doing quite well and then on the flip side of that i've kind of obviously it's me it wouldn't be me doing one of these episodes if i don't mention one direction in some kind of way but i'd put as my example on here why is harry who is seen like a mystical creature online who only comes pops up now and again is held in higher esteem than liam and louis who engages with their fans on a regular basis like because people have created a false god out of harry styles because they don't know anything about him and like we love harry But again, in doing this podcast and learning as much as we have, I've like, again, it feels like the curtain's been dropped and it's that realization of like, oh, he's a real person. And every now and again, when he like gives us a little bit too much, like a little bit more information than we are used to getting from him. I'm like, this is just like a rich man who dates women who all look the fucking same. And we've created something about him because he like has a good head on his shoulders. Like, don't get me wrong. But it's just like we've created something about him because gay men are dressing him and because he's hanging out with people who don't necessarily look like him or come from different walks of lives. And it's like he's not he's not like this like he's not the person that we think he is. And like, I feel like every now and again, he allows us hints of his life that are like, oh, yes, this man is not the same person as we've created for him. And I think with Liam and Louie, we're so aware that they are flawed creatures that it's harder to like it's harder for people to continue romanticize the idea of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's literally like Sarah, what you're saying. And cause we were talking about fan fiction recently, like there's like a lore of Harry Styles that's bigger than himself. And it's all fan fiction. It yeah. literally is fan. <laughs> it's not always written. Like the lore of Harry Styles is fan fiction. It's just funny because like Niall does a lot of the stuff that people proclaim that they assume Harry does. Like Niall will very loudly be like Donald Trump's a fucking idiot and he'll like speak out on things and like put his money where his mouth is. And it's like he is just like a run of the mill white man going and playing golf, but he's going and playing golf and like raising money for people and doing all this stuff. And like Liam is like feeding us more than we ever deserve to be fed with like information and everything and I think that the issue with Louis is, is that Louis very much is not this false idea that people created of him when he was in One Direction. And I think that people struggle with it. And I feel like that's a lot of why 
maybe some One Direction fans are like, oh, I don't know if like Louis for me as a solo artist or like a person. And it's like, yeah, because he's not who you've made up in your head. He's not this person. And meanwhile, Harry is just sitting around allowing people to like think whatever they want. And like, what? okay, whatever. Like you do you, like parasocial relationships, as I already said earlier, like they're completely fine and natural and normal. But also like, I don't know. There's just so many other artists who are actually what Harry Styles is. Troy Sivan is a great example of which that like, why don't you just like that? <laughs> like, I'm not saying not to like Harry, but it's like, why are these people like groveling at this man being like, oh, like a bisexual icon, all this stuff. When like, again, as I said, he's only dated women that all look the same, that all come from very similar walks of life, that all come from money and all these things. And meanwhile, you have like actual gay icons available to you who are like speaking out on issues and doing lots of things. But I think that that's where like you, like in some sense in celebrity, you gain, like Jenna said, like this lore idea of you where people are able to create ideas of you based off of the personality you've given them access to. Like Jennifer Lawrence is a really good example of that. Mm -hmm. It's like once people started to know her more, they're like, oh, she's like a backwoods person from Kentucky. And it's like, yes, she's not just a girl who likes pizza. She's like a pick me girl through and through but like she gave us an idea of her and we latched onto it and people were obsessed with her for a point in time um but harry is just somehow able to like live like make that last way longer than anybody else i've ever seen be able to make that last sorry not to bully harry styles on me <laughs> no it's it's so wild it's just wild it's just I, all of it. I since doing this like i will go through a blip when i'm like like hold up, why, why do I actually, like, if I took away his music and if it was someone else singing it, like, what is it, why am I, like, just drawn to that person that I don't really know anything about other than what I've been told? Don't get me wrong, I've, like, met people who have said, like, he's the most polite person ever in the yeah. world that you can meet and everything like that. But I'm like, is that actually him? Like, you know, when you get that doubt, like, yeah. is that him or is he just, like, yeah whenever he's out he's got a facade up all the time like and then I start to doubt myself and then I'm like oh and especially like what if he's gaslighting us into believing yeah, something I mean, he's like, not like he I think he's a very 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 clever businessman like yeah. I'm sorry there's girls paying 45 dollars for a baseball cap with Harry as my friend embroidered on them right now like you're not wrong like, I'm like trying to like bring this back around now somewhere. <laughs> I know where do we go from here <laughs> like, um okay what do you both kind of hope that the future of being a fangirl holds with both like within yourself and also kind of like outwardly perception within the world? I am just thinking about how, because I've been very wrapped up in the BTS army in case you haven't noticed throughout this episode, um, how many, so like, so I have been tweeting a lot about this. If you guys follow me on Twitter, you would know, but, um, I'm very much like present, like not presenting myself as like a fan, really. Like when I tweet about like BTS or K-pop, it's from like a very like critical thinking standpoint. And I think part of that is me even being scared of like having stigma attached to me, which is like a whole other conversation. But, but it's funny because so many like army follow me now and they all have fan accounts where I'm like, I have no idea how old this person is. I have no idea where they're from like anything it's just like a photo of 
Suga or like whoever it is as like their icon. And then like, I'll get in discourse with them and they're like really smart. And then they'll be like, yeah, I live in Australia and like I do global marketing. And I'm like, (laughs) this is the thing is like, even just having a fan account online, there's a stigma that like, you're a bot, you're an anti, like you're a hater. You're going to send me hate mail. Um, there's a stigma that like, you can't, this person can't engage in like critical discourse. This person isn't an adult. And so I think like, I, you know, I really hope this changes. So like, that's definitely opened like my mind a lot, but I think also having people who like feel like they don't need fan accounts in order to like love something or celebrate something. Cause I totally understand the purpose of fan accounts. Like if you're like, this is just like my account where like, I just talk about BTS or whatever. Like, I totally understand that. But I think like having more like visible quote unquote professional people who aren't afraid to talk about this or who aren't afraid to talk about themselves being a fangirl is important because of the fact that it's so stigmatized that no one is ever going to give like a fan account like a chance to explain themselves. But if you have like a red carpet reporter, I don't know like talking like celebrating fandom or celebrating how much they love an artist that starts to give people like that starts to give fangirls that credibility because they are quote unquote credible within the professional world of the music industry i fully agree with that yeah i always like i think i've said before in one of the episodes that i doubted whether or not to put that i was doing this and starting a website on my linkedin because obviously like my LinkedIn is used for work. I work for a government agency and I'm like, do I want to put out that I'm like, hi, like I'm like recording a podcast about like popular music. I was like, do I tell my bosses this is what I've been doing as like my lockdown hobby? Well, this is the whole thing is it's like this exact stigma we're talking about is like what we're trying to dismantle. But then even in our personal lives, we're personally like fighting with it because it's one thing fighting for it in your safe space of like our podcast, our podcast listeners, you know, they're totally on the same page as us. And it's a different thing to fight it like in a public slash professional like world where people like view you differently and like are they gonna view me differently because they know i listen to k-pop or like stuff like that where it's like in our (laughs) personal lives we're still like reconciling with that meanwhile on my twitter and my instagram i am just like would die for louis tomlinson um (laughs) while watching his live stream concert um but i think also in regards to that i think it's so important um for us to realize that like people are really big fans of other things that for some reason hold less of a stigma around them because they're things that guys like um in regards to just like nerdy shit so like comics and those sorts of things and like and while there are definitely like communities of those people who are judged to some degree like there are still like people who go about their normal lives existing and then you go on like a third date with a dude and he's like yeah I cosplay as Spider-Man on the weekends and it's like that's normal and me making a podcast trying to make fangirls feel good about themselves isn't why why is that and again misogyny is always the answer but I think that I I definitely like agree with Jenna in that I think more professional people who are parts of fandom should just be fine with talking about it 
I mean, Crystal Bell from Teen Vogue and also a lot of other places is like a really good example of that. She's like a very well-respected pop culture journalist and she is like the biggest BTS fangirl. Just no. any, no, what is it? No, she's TXT and Stray Kids are okay, her two. Yeah, so she's like the biggest players. like K-pop fangirl, um, the biggest uh, K-pop fangirl like out loud and like fine with it on her Twitter account and artists respect her and she interviews them and they talk about it and it's kind of, but I think also in regards to K-pop, like it's part of K-pop culture to be big in fandom. I mean, so this it's is not a, yeah. as looked down upon. This is the other thing is like what I've noticed as journalism Twitter, it's okay to still like, it's okay to be loud about like your fandom on journalism Twitter. Like yeah. for some reason, like this is acceptable, but like outside of like people who are writing about pop culture, like the, there's like quote unquote more professional jobs or like jobs where it doesn't your passion or the, your interest doesn't directly tie into like what your yeah, job but... is that's where that stigma comes from yeah yeah what do you personally think we kind of just touched on it but personally do you think the hardest part of being a fan girl is I think it's just like again guys being like oh you like that and meanwhile the second that Harry Styles started being mainstream, all these guys are like, oh my God, Harry Styles is so good. Oh my God, One Direction were actually good. Oh my God, blah, blah, blah. Or like all the like men who like decided the Beatles were theirs. And this happens throughout history. It's a common occurrence of girls liking something first and then men finding it later on and being like, oh, well, they, they're cha- they changed their direction. So now it's for me. And it's like, okay. And so I think it's just that that thing of, that kind of judgment of not being embarrassed to about liking something is I think my frustration mm-hmm. is that I'll sometimes still get into arguments with people being like, Oh, but you're 29. Why do you care so much about X, Y, Z or like, Oh, aren't you kind of embarrassed that you like this? And I'm like, I literally out loud on all social media platforms have talked about my crush on a cartoon character and from final fantasy seven like do you think i have any embarrassment left in my system no because like i would die for cloud strife like and he's a cartoon character and it's just like what's the problem you know and so it's just that weird thing where i as we keep saying like anything that females like is just judged and talked down on and so I think it's less so a me problem and more so an everyone else problem what has being a fangirl taught you um that these people are real humans and we can love them with every fiber of our being but we do have to remember that there is a line that we shouldn't cross and that's okay (laughs) I think at this at this stage if I'm being honest about being a BTS fangirl then um a lot of critical thinking and thinking about systems of oppression like the white patriarchy and capitalism (laughs) that's another conversation follow me on twitter for more folks (laughs) what has being a fangirl brought to your life all of my friends memories (laughs) friends memories good times yeah just like this mental instability but mostly good stuff (laughs) that too like being a fangirl is like so special like there's not a lot of other ways you can experience these types of emotions and like rediscovering that has been really cool too just like i don't know loving something so purely and like not not and like it bringing you so much joy if anybody listening wants to find you guys online where can they find you 
We're at Name Three Songs on all podcasting platforms and YouTube. That's Name Three, the numeral songs, or on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Name Three Songs. We're always up for a chat. A big thank you to Sarah and Jenna for joining me on this week's episode. If you want to find out more about this episode, make sure you head on over to our website, thatfangirllife.com, where you can also find more fangirl content to fill your needs until next week's episode. Next week, I'm joined by the creators of Lightsir app to talk about how being a fangirl started the idea. Bye!